Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Tom Ritchie, Changeboard's multimedia editor. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe. The Future Talent Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm joined by Anne Schooler, co-founder of the executive coach training and leadership development firm, Myla Campbell. Anne has led a varied career, originally working as a diplomat and international banker, before retraining mid-career as a psychologist. In her work with Myla Campbell, she has been named as a leading expert in business coaching globally by Harvard Business Review and is the author of the Financial Times Guide to Business Coaching. In this podcast, I ask Anne about the attributes that are shared by effective coaches, what leaders can do to create a culture of coaching in their organisations, and why humanity must match the growth of technology in the workplace. Well, hi, Anne. Thanks so much for speaking with us today. I thought we could just start with a quick introduction um, to your career path. Okay. Um, My career describes a perfect downward graph. I started as as a diplomat, uh, and I was then an international banker. I've stood on the podium of the General Assembly of the United Nations. The room was empty at the time, but I've still stood there. Um, And then I moved into uh, small business. And then about 20 years ago, I discovered that the unit of intervention that that really works for me, that where you genuinely, genuinely can bring about change, is the human being, the the human individual. And so give me another 10 or 20 years, and if I keep going in that direction, I'll probably be working on quarks and subatomic physics. So... As you touched on there, lots of different things that you've done throughout your career. So yeah. what's your approach to learning new skills and roles and reacting to new challenges? Well, I'm afraid to say that it's not textbook. My approach is very serendipity. Um, I follow my nose. Uh, I listen to what people say and I follow up I, you know, leads and suggestions I get there. I read. I think the, the Financial Times is in a fantastic place at the moment. It's really, really good. Um, The Psychologist is really good at the moment. There's some great podcasts. So I'm just, yeah, I follow my nose. And so which podcasts do you particularly listen to or what what, what are you reading at the moment that kind of helps you lead down these new new paths? Well, uh, podcasts, my favorite is 538, um, the American political one. Nate Silver. Nate Silver, um, because they are absolutely superb at what they do. They are a real benchmark of excellence. Um, but they do it in a relaxed and, and very human way. It's very real. Mm. I like it a lot. So you've consulted with many leaders um, about the skill of coaching. So what are the attributes of an effective coach, in your opinion? Well, I'd like to say two different things about this. Uh, and they both have five bits. The first is, our, you know, Mayla Campbell's selection criteria. So we've got this new program jointly with um, Oxford Said Business School called Ignite. And the selection, um, we have five criteria. One, business credibility, because you've got to have some hinterland for people to want to talk to you. Two, intrinsic interest. So there's no good sending people to learn to coach, uh, certainly not to you know, sort them out or to solve a problem. It, 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 you've got to want to do this. It's uh, three, um, that they're in the right place for... Because if somebody... Uh, you know, a very senior leader is going to pour their heart out to you and really tell it, because actually a coach is a rare, rare window where you can completely trust and you completely talk. If they're going to pour their heart out, then you've got to be safe a safe pair of hands. So if you've had a recent 
you know, bereavement or something, something, then you might not be in the right place to be that safe pair of hands. Four, the hallmark of a really good leadership coach is that they're open to new learning, can be quite uncomfortable, but they are prepared to grab it. And five, um, they're not boring. They've got some unique gift or interest or something that, that they can strike a spark with people. So that's the, fi- the five selection criteria for the Ignite program. Um, I'm giving the game away here, but um, <laughs> uh, but then the, the other five things are, and this is chapter, I think it's actually, believe it or not, chapter five of my book, um, which, are, you know, what are the five basic things that we're doing as a coach? So one, contracting. You know, whatever the problem in coaching, the answer is always contracting, failing to do it. So it might be big posh contracts, but it might be just standing by the water cooler. How can I help? Mm. How long have you got? Um, two, listening. Important. Three, questioning. Four, non-directive. So the ability to believe that what the other person's got inside their head might actually be more beneficial than, than giving them the benefit of your infinite wisdom. And five, the grow model. Mm. And so when you're saying non-directive, that to me um, is what really distills the difference between a coach and a mentor. Would you agree with that? Good man. Because mentoring is often, we'll stick uh, the youngest employees with someone who's been there for 10 years and they'll tell them exactly how things are done here. And if you don't do it that way, then there's a chance that they might, you know, tell the boss and say they're not really fitting in. Is that, is that, yeah. do you subscribe um, to that idea? Yeah, yeah. I, God bless you for raising that question of difference between coaching and mentoring. I am going to talk about this at the conference. Um, but very, very briefly, let's define the two. So traditional mentoring, consulting, advising, put in content, skill, information. Coaching pulls out the capacity that people have within. Mm. So of course a mentor needs to be able to coach. And of course a coach has to be able to chuck something in there just to keep them on their toes. Um, but but that ability to elicit, to inspire, to draw out, because leaders these days, they've, they cannot do it by command and control anymore. There just isn't time. Um, and they have got to work collegially. They've got to draw out the capacity of everybody else. So coaching is absolutely vital. And two problems with mentoring. I mean, mentoring is important. I've got a a, a diagram I'll talk about at the conference, but mentoring is absolutely vital in the right place. Um, but two potential problems with it. One, the mentor can be out of date, as mm. you hinted. Um, and my colleague Nigel does this brilliant reverse mentoring thing. Well, that works. But two, being talked at for too long, like I'm doing to you now, sorry, uh, <laughs> depresses people's energy. Coaching raises people's energy. Mm. And uh, th- there's something else that you talked that you talked about that, that I really want to touch on as well is that is an effective coach someone who also appreciates being coached themselves like they're inquisitive and they they like to bring out parts of their own ideas that maybe they wouldn't have been able to unlock without the person they're coaching or someone else coaching them yeah um what you've just touched on is actually it's it's basic professional discipline mm. um I mean it you don't want the Gerald Ratner problem. Actually, you're probably too young to remember who Gerald Ratner was. <laughs> um, but he described he ran a jewellery business and he described his products as a very rude word. Mm. So he didn't believe in his own products. So in a coach, you've got to have somebody who believes in what they're doing and yeah. therefore they'll want it for themselves. But actually, 
there's beyond coaching, there's supervision where you, you go and offload to a real expert fairly regularly to make sure that you're not messing with somebody else's mind because the decisions taken in the presence of our graduates, okay, our graduates aren't advising, but they, they are creating the crucible where absolutely extraordinary decisions are taken, affecting thousands of people, millions of pounds of investment or whatever, whatever. they've got to be in the right place. And so how can leaders implement a culture of coaching in their organisations? Slowly. Um, my colleague Nigel uh, is the expert on how long it really takes. There's so much that you could say about this. But actually, if I can be controversial, I think the leaders have got to be the change they want to see in the world. And if the leader is um, up for a federal indictment or... <laughs> uh, uh, being pursued by constant claims of sexual harassment, etc., etc., etc. Sounds familiar. Mm. <laughs> um, then um, there is, as my mother would used to say, save your breath to cool your porridge. Uh, it's a waste of money uh, in a traditional hierarchical context because somebody wrote a book called The Fish Rots from the Head. Mm. You know, if the leaders are not modelling it, then forget it. Find an organisation that is. Uh, However, having said that, in the new world with technology, I mean, there's extraordinary change happening at the moment in coaching. It's becoming very democratized. It's becoming right through the organization. So maybe that's no longer true. Maybe we can compartmentalize a bit. Maybe you can inspire and, 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 and um, bring on and develop and, and, and get them to perform out of the box uh, people. But leaders need to look into their own hearts and consciences pretty hard because mm. they are still hugely influential. So do you think that the best way of implementing a culture of coaching within an organisation is making the hierarchy flatter? No, um, I'm not expert at that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to comment on that. Um, the best way to do it is thoroughly. Mm. Uh, you know, whatever the question in coaching, the answer is always contracting. So... Get really, really clear on your objectives. Um, define a, pl a plan and implement it properly. You know, you have to train people, um, but you then have to provide ongoing support mm, and challenge and modelling. That there's a whole lot of elements that have to be in place for it to work, and mm. it takes time. Mm. So uh, when I was um, looking at your bio on our on our conference website, um, it said that you took a break and retrained as a psychologist in yep. your career, halfway through your career. Well, I'm very old. I've done lots of retraining. <laughs> well, that's part of one of the things that we're really going to look forward to speaking to many people at the conference about is about how you retrain throughout your career. So, yeah. But I'd like to look at how concepts from psychology and neuroscience can be applied to leadership development uh, in a little bit more detail. So, yeah. so how does that work in, in practice? Well, again, there's so much to say mm. about this. Um, how do I summarize, you know, 30 years of my life in 15 <laughs> seconds? Go. Um, one, health warning. There's a lot of junk talked about neuroscience. Two, however, there are some useful bits coming out. I, we don't yet have the, you know, the great rule 
I hope we never do, really. Um, but maybe one small example is um, our reaction under stress. So we've always known, you know, fight or flight, blah, blah. But what, we've dis- what we're discovering recently is that if the body is thrown into a state of grief, for example, you know, a, 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 a particularly a sudden, a, a close bereavement, we're seeing what happens in the brain. Um, and what happens in the brain, uh, short, sharp shock, of course, um, the, the front brain, the neocortex, is switched off um, because you want to run away or fight. And all the blood flow and, and so on goes to the old parts of the brain that, that fight or run. Um, I mean, it's a cliche, but it turns out to be true. Um, which means that if in your organization, if your people are constantly under stress, then by definition, they are not opening up their neocortex, they're not opening up their higher thinking functions, and they're not opening up their creative thinking. So um, it's just a health warning for the constant levels of stress, which everybody I'm talking to is experiencing. Um, and so, again, from the leadership point of view, I think, be careful. So don't put undue stress upon yourself uh, in the first instance, but then also create an environment where you're not firing off those chemical reactions in exactly. your people's brain as well. Exactly. So it's about really more of a scientific approach to almost what a lot of businesses are doing at the moment in terms of mental health and well-being at yes. work anyway. It's kind it's, of a more... It's a research It's a research indication that what they're doing is even more important than we think. It's mm. really interesting. And you've also conducted a lot, of in, uh, a lot of research into women in leadership. Again, could you explain that in a bit more detail? I don't want to kind of just constantly ask you these questions that you spent a lot of time researching and then say, <laughs> could you explain it in a bit more detail in two minutes? But I'm going to. It's fun. Um, well, not women in plural, but one woman. Uh, so over the last few years, my research, I mean, my colleagues at Oxford are doing amazing things on women as, as groups. And, and I've had the privilege of going to some hair-raising seminars. I mean, so, so good. But if I'm only allowed two minutes, um, let me talk about my own, the woman I'm researching, which is Queen Victoria. And you might think, what the hell has she got to do with a conference on technology and humanity <laughs> and so on? But actually, um, she was the first global female leader and in terms of 100 year life she reigned for 63 years she had a terrible crash in the middle um period of this that's why i'm interested in this shock stuff um and the effect on the brain because it happened to her she recovered so there's great there's and a lot of people don't so there's huge learning there for resilience there's the learning there for who were her coaches who were her mentors like many many leaders if you draw a graph uh, she and, and put plot coaching and mentoring on it. She didn't have what she needed at the times that she needed it. Often, sadly, true. Blah. So that's the woman I'm interested in researching. Mm. And are the, are the, is there any one specific like lesson that you've learned from looking at her reign that you could apply to coaching? Or yeah, um, again, it's something I want to talk about briefly at the conference, which is strengths inventories. So we've all had thousands of bits of paper and interviews telling us what's wrong with us, right? Appraisals, mm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and about 20 years ago, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi and Martin Seligman um, 
had a, you know, one of those basic brainwaves in science that for 100 years been looking at what's wrong with people. And they thought, oh, what have we applied all that robust science of the last 100 years and helped it, helped, took it across and applied it to healthy people to look at what's right with them? Duh. They might get the next Nobel Prize for that uh, if the psychologists can nick another one from economists. Um, and they raised massive amounts of money for research and as a result we've got very evidence-based um, means of you and I taking a personality test and identifying what our strengths are and then playing to our strengths mm. which as you can imagine is so much more energizing than flogging ourselves at something we're bad at which is what the organizations as traditionally structured did all the time to people yeah Queen Victoria unquestionably, unquestionably, she had two major strengths. I mean, I don't need to do a psychometric with her. She's not around to do it. But it's so obvious from the data that she, one, had huge physical stamina, and she, boy, did she use that, and she needed it a lot of the time. Two, she was extraordinarily honest. Mm. Now, you might think, is that useful in the workplace? And she did get in people's faces about it. But I think long-term, playing to that strength of honesty, and she was utterly truthful. She was who she was. She was authentic, to use the modern word. And I think that was a deep basis of the real popularity, the true popularity she had by the end of her life. So at, at the Future Talent Conference, yeah. uh, you'll be speaking about technology and how, yeah. how, how our humanity has to rise up around it as it plays a greater part in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what role does coaching play in achieving this? I say nothing about technology. Believe me, you don't want to have me talking about technology. Um, the role of coaching is it's one way. There are many others. Lucy Winkett will be talking about completely different ways. There are, how do we reconnect with our humanity? Um, there have been answers for thousands of years. Coaching is one of them. Why do we need to connect with our humanity? Well, that's all we're going to have left. Mm. That's what differentiates us, um, is, is the obvious reason. But the other reason is, as the technology rises, yes, there are huge rewards, but there are huge risks. And if we are constantly being knocked sideways and so stressed and exhausted that we're not really connected with who we are and what we believe and what we stand for, then we may not spot and we may not call out those risks. So we really need to be securely grounded in who mm. we are and understand ourselves, and coaching can do that. So how has technology changed the way that you coach? Well, there's lots of answers to that. In some ways, it's not changed at all because the very basics of listening, of connecting with another human, of structuring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, unchanged. Of course, it's changed vehicles through which we can do it you know skype facetime etc and it's completely changed the landscape in which we're coaching the levels of stress the levels of expectation etc but there's a really quirky new thing that's just come out some recent research on generation z believe it or not mm. do you feel old tom a, a little bit yeah <laughs> so generation z there's some there's some there's some very recent research which my chief executive told me about yesterday that they prefer face-to-face -face contact. Mm -hmm. And we are all assuming in organizations that they are glued to their phones. No, that's the ones ahead. 
they've grown up with that. Of course, they're digital natives. But actually, they're coming back to human connection. And so what is your advice uh, to leaders to make sure that their humanity of their organizations isn't lost with the proliferation of, of technology? Be human themselves. Mm. So what, how does that, what does that look like in, 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 in practice? Funnily enough, and sorry, this is a cliched response, but they could have a coach. Mm. But actually, having a coach is not the answer. What they need is the right coach. So they need the coach that they can relate to enough that they can really connect. These are people living, you know, in the media spotlight, etc., etc. They've been taught not to trust. There's got to be it, it, it's an extraordinary ability to connect truly with it with a very senior leader. But at the same time, they can't be too connected. The coach has got to be prepared to challenge as well. So that's a jolly good start. And we'll leave that as the final bit of advice to our listeners. And thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really interesting conversation. We look forward to having you at the conference. It's a real pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Changeboard's sixth Future Talent Conference will be taking place on the 21st of March in London at the Royal Geographical Society. Join 750 of your peers for a stimulating day of thought leadership on the theme of technology and humanity. Visit our conference website, ftconf2019.com. That's ftconf2019.com to get your ticket now. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon. <laughs>